So where the hell have I been? You might be asking yourself. Uh, Still Jared Rizzi, still at the table, still thinking about all the shit that has been happening in the last few weeks. But we haven't been having our conversation recently, which has been... Actually, it's been on my mind a lot, and I, I feel like I owe all of you an explanation. Anyone who's listening to this conversation, especially the people, the very generous people who support the conversation through Patreon and and elsewhere, where the hell have I been? Um, it's been a couple weeks since our last episode, and that's not normal for me, and I, and I just wanted to explain a little bit of why. A couple things. One, I had uh, a kidney stone, which was extremely painful. People who follow me for reasons beyond my understanding may know that this is the second round of intense kidney stone related pain I've ever had in my life. I'm a relatively young person. This is a genetic thing. I, there's no reason other than family history that I have these according to my urologist. I was basically either in excruciating pain or high as a kite from painkillers for about three weeks in September. And I had this time to think about Really nothing, because it's not a vacation. Uh, But I had this time to sit there and grimace and think about all the things that were happening in the world. You know, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies and Trump gets COVID and, you know, all these, like, a lot of stuff happened. And I really wanted to have this conversation, which was energizing and life-giving to me for so long. And I just, and I felt guilty. And then this is the other aspect of of why I wasn't talking to you is I got into that really depression-y hole where I started saying, you know, maybe this is something I should pull back from, even though I love it. Maybe this is something that I need to do less of, taking care of my son and taking care of my relationship. And I didn't know where to, what to do with that. And finally, I, I snapped the hell out of it and I said, okay, I need to get back on this. And I actually picked up a conversation that I had wanted to have before I got sick. And ironically, it's with someone who uh, who is... <laughs> has described himself to me as professionally sick uh, or sick for a living. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm laughing about it only because uh, it's, cause it's not funny, but it is awful. And it's um, Matthew Cortland is joining me for at the table. And I'm Matthew, before I um, introduce you and, and give all of your accolades, let me just say thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thank you for accepting my invite over a month ago for this conversation. And thank you for joining me now. It is really good to be with you. I am, I am thrilled that you are no longer in excruciating pain all of the time or high as a kite. It's a terrible dichotomy to be in. And I'm just, I'm really happy to be here with you. I am so glad that you are here with me. Matthew, for people who don't know, disabled and chronically ill attorney, also a policy analyst. Uh, his Twitter is MattBC, at MattBC. And we're going to put his relevant information, as we always do, in the in the description of this episode. But Matthew, can you explain the work that you've been doing a little bit for the, for people who don't know where you're coming from and why you have described yourself to me as, as professionally sick. I I do describe myself as a professional sick person because for a whole bunch of reasons, some sort of just part of the experience of, of being a chronically ill human being in an unfortunate amount, just of being a chronically Ill, ill human being in the United States of America being chronically ill is a full-time job. It it literally is. I have tracked my hours. I know other people in this space who have tracked their hours, and it's a full-time damn job. It's not profitable, though, because jobs usually imply there's some kind of remunerative 
you're you're not. I mean, this isn't this isn't like, in it. You know, I. It's it's not a money maker for you, is what I'm hearing. It's a money loser. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry it, to rub the salt there. I just needed to. I just needed to, when you say full time job, usually that because I mean there are there, there are really three ty- types of of jobs uh, that I'm now aware of. Uh, money makers, the lion's share of what we think of as jobs. Uh, money neutral slavery, and now what you've described as money losing, which is uh, awful. So can you please elaborate? We do pay for the quote-unquote privilege of being professional sick people, um, navigating the American healthcare service and delivery system, it's, it's, a, it's not just a maze. It's like a sadistic, Byzantine, bureaucratic nightmare of a maze where if you go down the wrong hallway, maybe you die. Maybe you're just in excruciating pain that you didn't need to be in for some period of time. Um, and on top of all of that, we get, you know, having to deal with insurance companies, payers. We also have to deal with like pharmacy benefit managers. Those are companies like Express Scripts or Caremark, which is part of CVS, that decide when you go to the pharmacy counter, do you get do you get the privilege, air quotes around privilege, of having the medication that you need in order to be alive. Uh, and, and all of that stuff takes a lot of time for chronically ill folks in this country to navigate. And it just doesn't need to be the case, right? Like all of that work that patients do in order to keep the healthcare service and delivery system functioning, to keep it going, is just unpaid, comp- it's unpaid labor, right? We're not compensated for that. But without us doing it, uh, we wouldn't get the care that we need. And it's not just on the pharma side, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to coordinate uh, a treatment day at a hospital, but you end up calling. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yep. You you end up calling like four or five, six different departments, talking to schedulers, talking to medical assistants, and no one talks to each other. It's you. It's your job to coordinate this. Um, and you know, it doesn't pay. You're exactly right. Like I spend money. I spend far, like I, I spend a lot of money, um, being, being chronically ill and disabled in this country, actually in the disability community, we have a term for it. It's called the disability tax. Um, and it, it, it's part of the chronic illness space. It's, it's also just, you know, disability things in general. Like if you need, for example, you're a wheelchair user and you need a ramp into your own home, that's a cost that's not really built into most homes. So you're paying out of pocket for that. Um, and in the chronic illness space, right, you, I'm just, I'm just thinking of all of right now, for some reason, the parking fees, the $22 parking fees that I have to pay for the privilege of going into a hospital and having someone poke and prod me in places that are really uncomfortable to be poked and prodded. It's just insult to injury. You know, having spent only a brief time in that oubliette recently, I can, you were describing it as this kind of, you know, evil labyrinth. And I just, I I knew that I was going to pick up this conversation with you. And I'm really glad that we did for a number of reasons, because trauma and depression are also chronic conditions. Hell yes. And I think about how I felt coming out of that and that, that, that weight And I think everyone I know who cares about these issues is feeling that weight in some capacity because of the proximity of the election just days away, um, because of the severity of the problems that we're facing if we're trying to enact any kind of change here, and because of the 
the abusive relationship that this administration has with both its supporters and its opponents. The closing arguments for this election, let's let's get into actual policy talk, because I know that with the Affordable Care Act and with some of the things that have been in the news most recently, a lot of the issues that around which you have a great deal of expertise have come to the fore. And I'm thinking specifically about the untimely death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett as as her replacement and the way in which that has created a new closing argument for the Trump administration and for Republicans in the Senate for this election cycle. That now they have to deal with the fact that they have opposed the Affordable Care Act with really no replacement plan ever in the last decade, and yet they're pretending there's a smoke and mirrors campaign to pretend that that exists. And so my my question for you is, how does this change the election from your perspective? And how does it reinforce some themes that I imagine were, were still very top of mind for you and for other people who think about the disability community, the, the issues that you deal with on a regular basis? You know, on November 10th, the United States Supreme Court is scheduled to hear argument in a case called California versus Texas, in which Donald Trump's DOJ, and let's be clear, it's no longer the American People's Department of Justice. It has been wholly compromised by Donald Trump. Donald Trump's DOJ is going to ask the United States Supreme Court to strike down the entire Affordable Care Act, all of it. That is the official position of the Trump administration that the Affordable Care Act should be completely struck down. And if that happens, I and tens of millions of other Americans who rely on the protections of the Affordable Care Act to keep us alive are in danger of dying. Excruciatingly painful deaths. Uh, Mine would be from complications of my immune system not knowing that my small intestine is something that it should not shred. It's a a terrible way. Uh, Untreated Crohn's disease is a terrible, terrible way to die. Look, we, we know that Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court is hostile to the Affordable Care Act because she has told us herself in writing. It's in black and white. Uh, She would have ruled against the Affordable Care Act. Um, We know it. She's written it. We also know, look, we know that Donald Trump tweeted in 2015, quote, if I win the presidency, my judicial appointments will do the right thing, unlike Bush's appointee, John Roberts, on Obamacare. When someone tells you who they are, believe them. When Donald Trump says he wants to strike down the Affordable Care Act, we need to believe him. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is the both political and logical endpoint of a very long campaign to undermine this particular issue and a number of other. I mean, she's kind of perfectly engineered for this moment, right? Like this is if you were to create who the Republicans would. I mean, I don't think they want necessarily this conversation to be top of voters minds in October. But here we are, and she is perfectly engineered for this moment to undo everything like gay marriage, uh, the Affordable Care Act, abortion rights. I mean, there's a whole series of issues where she is adamant. And I say this, by the way, as a, as a Notre Dame grad who was very happy to see his thesis advisor on the list of faculty who, <laughs> who uh, did not, uh, who wanted Barrett to, to withdraw her nomination. So this is, you know, this is a controversial thing, but she is the dovetailed piece into this, into this uh, moment. I, I can't imagine a, 
more perfect person. You are, you are exactly right. You are exactly right. And I know you're right because in, and I don't tell everyone this, but my Juris Doctorate is from what is now called the Antonin Scalia School of Law, the George Mason University School of Law. It is a public university in Virginia, and I was proud to go to a public university for law school, except I chose, mm-hmm. at the time, arguably the most conservative law school in America, uh, certainly the most conservative real law school in America. Liberty University does not count. And... I've been inside the heart of the conservative legal movement. These are people who have spent decades upon decades upon decades refining an incredibly sophisticated operation with tens of millions of dollars of Koch brothers' money underwriting the entire enterprise to develop this sophisticated machine to have a pipeline of judges that they are absolutely certain will rule the ways that they want them to rule, meaning anti-abortion, anti-healthcare, pro-corporation, anti-democracy, just furthering the cause of white supremacy and karyarchy. Those are their judicial picks. It is the core of their philosophy. I know. Well, and because they're the Kochs also, you know, screw the environment, screw, you know, there's a whole list of other things that, you know, they, they just, we, we could do without. Right and now. it's bad for us, just to put it bluntly, like it's, it's, you know, it's bad for us. Their agenda is bad for us, but they are incredibly good at pursuing it. And they would not nominate someone who wasn't going to be a reliable vote for them on the court. They learned their lesson. They're not going to make that mistake again. And they've got enough money and they've got enough people working on it that they're, you know, I, I believe them. Um, you know, I was I was taught constitutional law by a guy whose title is the Patrick Henry Second Amendment Professor of Constitutional Law. His chair was endowed by the literal NRA. You know, I know these people, right? Very subtle. Very. That's subtle. That's that's. that's subtle. I think you know it's funny when you have an endowed chair by the NRA. That this is a fact that I did not know about George Mason. And it's school of law. But I'm just imagining that the chair itself has to be made out of kind of like the, the Game of Thrones, Iron <laughs> Throne, but there's guns. It's just like long, long rifles uh, just bent into a chair shape. Like, that's what I'm imagining. That's not accurate, but I, in my mind, that's going to be the headcanon that I choose to go with. Uh, headcanon, by the way, also a position at George Mason <laughs> School of Law, from what I'm aware of. Um Matthew, but, but t- t- I'm sorry. I could do I could do jokes about guns. I was, by the way, I was married uh, in a in a Remington, Virginia. So like the entire, there's a lot there. Um, I could do gun puns for like 20 minutes. It's probably the issue upon which I am least um, tolerant uh, because I just so um, good good for you for uh, white knuckling it through that program. But I mean, yes, she's perfect for this moment. You agree with you you agree with my hypothesis, but what I'm I don't think Republicans want to be having this conversation front and center. And Barrett forces them to. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it turns out that taking health care away from tens of millions of Americans, tens of yeah, tens of millions of Americans is uh not popular. Most people don't want to die in excruciating agony. It's a concept that Republicans just don't politically seem to understand or want to understand, right? They, it, it, when, when they are paid to not understand it, it becomes hard for them to understand that most Americans, if their kid breaks their leg, want to be able to bring their kid to the ED, the emergency department, 
and have a physician fix their child's leg. Most people, if they get cancer, want to be able to access the best available chemotherapy and other treatments without having to host a GoFundMe, which is honestly what you know, an increasing number of Americans are having to do, even with the healthcare system that we have. So if, if they tear it down, as they are trying to do actively right now, uh, that's going to be politically unpopular. Outside of their, you know, 20% of Americans who, no matter what, will uh, back their extremist sort of death cult agenda. The rest of us, you know, we, we think people should have insulin who need it, right? And they don't. Uh, and I think that actually is a political problem for them. Uh, and I'm I'm actually happy about that, right? Like this should be a problem. It should not be politically popular to pursue eugenicist genocidal programs that target the most vulnerable, uh, you know, the, the people who have been made vulnerable, who have been marginalized in this country, disabled folks, communities of color, particularly in a pandemic that is disproportionately killing people from those communities. Um, it shouldn't be politically popular to pursue policies that are just going to result in tens of millions of deaths. And yet. Exactly. <laughs> and yet this is still an argument that has a chance of like an outside chance of winning because of your your expertise and because of the the nature of this conversation. I, I always think about you and I have talked about, for example, we, we host uh, family dinners in my my home in in DC and my family, uh, you know, my wife and I, and, and eventually, uh, our son, we, we will have people around the dinner table. I imagine this, this will in some point that will be known as the aftertimes will continue these. And I think about the conversations we've had around those, those dinner tables. And I think about, you know, we've had, we've had almost a hundred of these we've had, uh, over the last four years, we've, we've had you know, the conversation is very rarely politics. It's usually much more fun than that. But occasionally we will have these. And I think about that in the context of what you must be thinking about. And if you had your druthers, if you had the ability to have a, you know, kind of a big picture think maybe with some, uh, you know, I, I don't know what your favorite uh, uh, drink might be, but uh, I certainly would be well lubricated by, you know, like a, a peaty whiskey or something. And then thinking about the larger perspective, kind of pulling back the camera a little bit, because we're talking about, we can get lost in the nitty gritty here, but between COVID, you mentioned COVID, between we talked about the Affordable Care Act and, and we both alluded to abortion rights, um, you know, all these legal issues, nursing homes and schools dealing with serious problems of infection and reinfection, all of this is in your wheelhouse. And I can only imagine some of the things that you have been percolating over the last few months as this has continued to get worse and continued to get more complicated. And I can, I imagine that you've had some moments where you've been like, I've, I knew it would get worse in this way. I'm fascinated to think about the kind of big, you know, as you were teeing that, that question about. up and it's a great question. My phone vibrated and it was a phone call from the nursing home where several of my loved ones are. And we won't be having Thanksgiving dinner together. Um, that, that won't be possible because of the pandemic and the ways it has been mismanaged and also just the 
the the policy choices that we have made as a country to not take care of disabled Americans and older Americans in their own homes, but instead to warehouse them in quote unquote nursing homes, which I don't know if you've ever been inside of a, a skilled nursing facility. That's the sort of jargony term we use for them, which gets shortened to sniffs, uh, a sort of ironically, amusingly enough. Um, they're not homes. They have nothing in common with homes. They are terrible, terrible, terrible institutionalized places. And that's where my loved ones will be this Thanksgiving. And I won't be able to even visit them. I won't be able to bring them, sneak them in some turkey and some real mashed potatoes from the outside. And so I think about what kind of country do we want to be? Do we want to be a cruel, cruel, just inhumane grinding country. Is that what we want for ourselves? Because that's that's the choice that we are making. It's a choice. We have a choice in this. This isn't set by the laws of physics. This isn't about, you know, the earth revolving around the sun. We can actually change this. Or do we want to be a country where kindness matters, where we respect the dignity and worth of everyone. Because that's not who we are right now. That's not what we're doing. And it's real hard because every day I get a text message from the nursing home, from the SNF, with the count of people who have died from COVID in the facility. I get a count of how many people are currently infected with COVID-19, I get a count of how much PPE they have on hand. And it is the result. This is, this is the, the, the key for me. This didn't just happen. We have made choices that have resulted in us being in this incredibly bad, dark, difficult place. You know, you started talking about depression and I, I I have a diagnosis of depression, and it's it's related to the Crohn's disease that that I have. My body just doesn't absorb iron, and it turns out that iron is necessary for your brain to make dopamine. So in the the normal times, I go get topped up with iron infusions about quarterly, um, and I'm running a little low right now because uh, there was a time period there where you just weren't allowed in a hospital because of COVID. Um, it, it, and it's depressing, and it's dark, and it just adds to human misery in ways that are completely unnecessary and gratuitous, and yet we do it anyway. And so, you know, what I'm thinking about is it doesn't have to be like this. It does not have to be like this. It isn't every, like, it, you know, there are countries on the face of the planet that are not like this. We, we are making choices. They are bad choices, and I wish we would stop and make better choices. I started in my mind at the beginning of this conversation or at the beginning of this answer that you were giving thinking, Oh, haha! If only your family members, instead of being in an you know, institution, in, instead of being in a, in a sniff, instead of being in a nursing home, if, if only they could be the, the daughter of the white house chief of staff and have a large in-person wedding, uh, somehow in the last few weeks, that was uh, to much much online fanfare, or or if only they could find a way to. And then I, and then I started to just these choices we're making. They're so it's it's so awful to me because 
they will be defended by the people who are supporting this administration literally to the death. I, I, I mean, normally we don't, we use that expression figuratively, but literally, I, I mean, if, if there was a way to make Donald Trump look good and for more people to have died by COVID, they would have chosen that path. I don't think there's any question in anyone's mind who is looking at this administration objectively. If he could pull the lever and put the, you know, the trolley on the other track where all those people die, he would have absolutely pulled that lever. And I just, I hate the fact that this is the conversation we're having because I think of myself as relatively smart. I know you're really smart. And I think about the way that our bandwidth could be used for other things if you didn't have to fight so hard for this really basic shit. And, and, and me feeling it by just having this empathy in this moment is, I'm sure, nothing to the agony that you feel every day, both as someone who deals with this himself and has to, you know, be responsible for I the wish, care of other people you know, I, who are living um, with that. I actually used to be an intensely private person. Um, you really screwed that up. <laughs> that ship has long that's, ago that's, set uh, sail. <laughs> crashed into a beach, got hit by lightning, <laughs> went up in flames, and now there are just ashes. <laughs> it's like a Calvin and Hobbes, like all the like the train and the and the boat, yep. like all they're all about to um, hit each other. Four <laughs> years ago when Donald Trump was elected, um, I just looked around and and it just became clear to me that that privacy, my own privacy, was uh going to cost too much. It it was a, it was something I could no longer afford. Um, when the administration, uh, when when Trump was sworn in and, and started attacking marginalized groups in this country, um, I made the decision. I made the determination that I I had to work in a much more public fashion. And since then, I have spent every day since January 20th, um, when he was inaugurated, fighting whatever the latest bullshit that the Trump administration rolled out was. For a while there in, in 2018, people would ask me what kind of law I practice. And, and the answer I just, it was, you know, what what is Trump fucking up this week? That's what I'm doing. Um, and you're right. <laughs> It, very lucrative yeah, practice by the um, way. It's, 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 yeah. Uh it and you know, I was I was able to do a lot of that work because of the support of of Patreons, because there's this community of people who are like, No, we're not just gonna sit sit by and watch Trump destroy right. human lives because this is about real people. This is about taking children away from their families putting them in cages and letting them cry themselves to sleep. Like that is something the United States of America did under the Trump administration. And to be clear, this is a country founded on the enslavement of Africans and the genocide of indigenous people. But the arc to, to borrow a phrase of the history of this country has bended towards justice because we have made it bend. And for the last four years, it, it has snapped back in the other direction. 
with a ferocity um, that included things like literally committing genocide because according to the relevant United Nations law, when you take the children of immigrants away from them by operation of law, by the state, by the power of ICE agents with guns and CBP, CBP agents with guns, you, you are attempting to commit genocide. Just that's what, that's what international law says. And that's something that we've done. Oh, I don't think we're attempting it. Yeah. Inchoate <laughs> crimes, think. which is the, the legal jargon gets a little tricky. It's, you know, how many babies do you have to rip away from their moms before you have committed genocide is not a question that law school prepared me to answer. Um, no, I remember on the uh, congratulations. I, I, took, I I dodged law school, but I did take the LSAT, and I well, thank you. I I've never looked back. I I had a decent LSAT score. I applied. I was I was a, and then I was like, ah, no, I've been having anxiety nightmares for the no. I'm gonna withdraw. No, I've never looked back. But I do remember very specifically a question. It was in the logic question, logic section. And it was about how many forced hysterectomies before the concentration camp needs to close. I didn't get that one right, but I do remember it being on there. So it's there. It's definitely in there. I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. Like genuinely, like <laughs> this is America in 2020, right? Like we are continuing this history of like just experimenting on people without their consent. It's it's it, right. The, and, and to be fair, not knowing whether to laugh or to cry is kind of the sweet spot of what I try to do in this conversation. But usually, and you have succeeded. <laughs> thank you. Because uh, I feel like, by the way, I and that is kind of a joke, but also like if you aren't on that knife's edge the entire time for the last four years what what the hell have we been doing the one thing i i will say about this moment in our history it is it's enormously clarifying i don't think you could ask for a better positive id on where every single person stands than the last four years and i think that we are are better for you choosing to be less private although i will say this kind of brings me up to to one kind of the the topic I wanted to end on about and you talk about privacy how your your personal privacy would have cost too much and I think about the way in which Republicans may try to to stillbirth a, a Biden administration and and we've seen kind of the deficit hawks rear their ugly heads in the last few days and talking about things that don't that we can't afford and uh, how expensive all this stuff that you and I have talked about in the last you know half hour or so, how much that's going to cost. I, I imagine that as someone who's dealt with a chronic illness and who has had, you know, you've, you've discussed in other places and with a lot of emotion and eloquence how companies have tried to kill you because you cost a lot of money. Um, I, I imagine that you are not persuaded by the arguments that that it would be too expensive for us to be, as you were describing earlier, a better country. Yeah, I mean, it's been infrastructure week for me since roughly 1999. <laughs> oh, do I want to make a joke about your lower, lower, uh, you know, GI tract? But I'm not going to. I mean, uh, it costs right now. It costs a cheap year to keep me alive is about a quarter of a million dollars. There aren't many very, very many cheap years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's closer to half a million. Uh, and every year, pharma jacks up the prices more. So um, 
It, it's Good. it's absurdly expensive, right? It's absurdly expensive to keep me alive because a lot of money is going to pay for like pharma bro execs buying one-off Wu-Tang records. And I got absolutely <laughs> nothing against the clan. I want to be clear. Wu-Tang clan, I love you. <laughs> it's just that I don't want the extractive, like monopoly price gouging gun to my head, your money, your life money going to buy the one like that that's not a good I, use right like that's not i always thought that if we lived in a gilded age it wouldn't be as stupid <laughs> and <laughs> and when i think about the you know trump uh this week saying that he's fine with 7.8 unemployment or you know the screlly wu-tang album like like thank good like like every cop is grateful for dumb crooks like i like oh thank god these people are so stupid and so vain and so selfish because it does make it easier to fight evil when they're, you know, just a little bit awful at it. I mean, I am personally incredibly grateful that, for example, the Trump administration doesn't understand understand administrative law. Like they're real <laughs> bad at it. I never, I never actually took admin law in in law school. In retrospect, I should have because over the last four years, I've run uh, what are called commenting campaigns. So the Trump administration will announce that they want to take Medicaid away from people. And the way that they're going to do that is by imposing a work requirement where basically, no matter where you are in the country, no matter if there are jobs or not, uh, no matter if you have a way to get to a job, if you don't have work hours, they're going to take Medicaid away from you. Also, no, ma no matter how sick you are. And that will somehow motivate you to join, quote unquote, join the workforce if they take your health care away because mm -hmm. you're too sick to work. Oh, yeah. And and we, you know, I, I, I was able to organize clinicians and patients to submit really like folks put in a lot of effort into writing really high quality comments at the judges who would ultimately review these things in federal court. And, you know, we kept winning at the district court level and, and at the appellate level, the circuit court level, because the Trump administration is so bad at administrative <laughs> law that even like some Trump appointed judges were like, what, what are you doing? Like, that's not how this works. Have you, have you read the law that you're, you know, relying on? Um, but it only takes us so far because eventually Mitch McConnell is going to have stacked the federal judiciary with enough Trumpian judges that they won't give a fuck what the law actually says. They'll just vote for their, you know, uh, their preferred policy outcome, like uh, like a famous uh, amongst uh, a famous judge in, in, in Texas, Reed O'Connor, who is the one who started the ACA lawsuit and just made shit up to like find that the ACA is unconstitutional, right? Like at a certain point, we run out of being able to rely on the incompetence of our enemies just because they will spam us with incompetence and it'll be too much. It's like the, the boss stage of a video game where there are just so many incoming missiles that you can't actually dodge them all. That That's what the second Trump term looks like unless we defeat him now. Well, and that's, that's the thing is that this is what we've seen when he's felt somewhat constrained by popular opinion um, I can only imagine what the ne what the next four years would look like if he no longer feels like he has to dangle anything in front of us. I mean, that's and if we do win, you're exactly right. Republicans are already talking about deficits, and I just want to shake these people and say, you do understand that the federal treasury doesn't work like your household checkbook, right? Like they you're a United States senator. That. They don't understand that actually, or they choose not to understand that, or more likely, most likely. 
they're paid a lot of money by people who would like them to get it wrong and their personal understanding is irrelevant. Exactly. Like, they understand that the United States government can print money. They understand that we actually, these days, we don't even have to go through the trouble of spe- you know, printing the ink out because the Fed just creates money in a computer database and it exists. And the real question is, are you causing inflation or not? And what amount of inflation is acceptable to you? But they don't want to talk about that because you're exactly right. They want to defeat the, 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 the President Biden's administration on day one. And so all of these people are suddenly going to find that they care a great deal about deficits again. But what that actually means, what that actually means is that people in this country, you know, poverty is a political choice that we impose on marginalized people in this country. It doesn't, it's not a law of economics that some fraction of Americans, and it's, it's a large fraction these days, have to be poor. It's not a law of economics that, for example, disabled Americans who rely on what's known as SSI, uh, which is one of the two disability programs that the Social Security Administration administers. It's not a law of physics or economics that SSI pays out $783 per month, which is what it pays out, which is about 74% of the federal poverty level, which is already too low. It's not, there's nothing... It's not like we have a limited supply of $1 bills and we can't make any more in order for Americans to not live in poverty, in order for children to have school lunches. You know, I've, I've been working on, on the policy response to COVID for eight months or so now, and one of the worst fights was over school lunches. What are we going to do? How are we going get, to get kids who relied on food in schools the food that they need and Republicans saying, ah, oh, we don't have the money for that, right? If if your nation state can't feed its own children, you don't have a nation state. You have a failed country. And, you know, I think you're exactly right. We're going to hear more and more and more, you know, sudden concern about deficit spending without any sort of consideration of the costs of doing nothing. You know, there was this great piece that just came out from the New York Times uh, about some research. They wrote up some research that found the CARES Act, that bill that sent, uh, you know, $1,200 checks to most Americans, um, lifted 4 million people out of poverty. A one-time payment of $1,200 was enough to lift lift 4 million people out of poverty, but because it wasn't followed up, because it was a one-off bill, 8 million people afterwards fell back into poverty. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Right. We don't have to live like this. And, and the concern about deficits is because they know, they know they can't say to the American people, we want you to live in poverty because it's politically convenient for us to maintain our grasp on power. But that's the truth. You're exactly right. They understand what they're doing. They totally understand. Even Ted Cruz understands what he's doing. And there's very few people I hate more in the world than Ted Cruz. Um, But he knows what he's doing. He knows damn well what he's doing. And in this concern over deficits is going to be about trying to kill the Biden administration's plans to do good for the American people on day one. And we can't let them. I would imagine that there is some frustration when we talk about why the CARES Act wasn't followed up and why we've seen a lot of foot dragging from the Senate, uh, not just Cruz, but McConnell and uh, the entire Republican caucus. There's no urgency. Would you imagine that's also the reason we're not seeing urgency for another bill now is because they're looking ahead and saying, oh, but that could screw up 
Biden's January. That could that could really take the first hundred days away. And and isn't that isn't that fucked up if that's where we are? Oh, that's totally where we are. And it's completely fucked up. Great. They know. They know because they've seen the same data that the rest of us have seen that sending out payments to people will A, take some time. So there's no way that checks are getting to people before they cast their votes. You know, and, and hopefully folks are voting now in all of the places that you can vote early uh, and vote by mail. But, you know, the last day, the, the day, election day is really the last day of the election. And they know that they're not getting checks out the door before election day. And so they're not inclined to do it because they know the economic effects, the sort of macroeconomic effects about jobs coming back, businesses staying open, staying afloat, making it through this pandemic. Those benefits are going to accrue a couple of months down the line, and it's going to make President Biden look good. And they would rather hurt the American people to score a political victory than help the American people because they want to destroy the Biden administration before it even starts. And so, yeah, we, we saw the president of the United States order the Treasury Secretary, his, his negotiation negotiating representative, to blow up the talks about a new stimulus bill with, with the Speaker Pelosi. And then he saw the political backlash and he reversed himself via tweet a couple of, you know, a little bit later. They really, you know, you were talking about our enemies being sort of incompetent and like you, you can't imagine that there was a strategy meeting where like the best and brightest minds of the Republican Party got together in the cabinet room and were like, Mr. President, here's our recommendation. At 12.01, you're going to order Secretary Mnuchin to abandon negotiations. At 12.02, you're going to issue a tweet. You're going to wait three hours, sir, Mr. President. Three hours and four minutes. We've tested this with the very best minds on social media before you say you want a big deal, go big or go home. Like they're not and there aren't charts and graphs and like a command and control center, Republican war room. You know, Mr. President, I'm standing by for the order to hit send on the tweet. That is not what's happening so clearly. It's Donald Trump with like an iPhone, like clutching it, you know, as he like, traipses around the executive mansion giving people covid um you know nonpartisan, not not you know just like the career stat like when when i heard about the co- yes my thoughts were with the cooks and the carpenters and the cleaners in that place people who who are really there just to serve the presidency as an institution because it's how they serve the country and he's just like walking around coughing out covid at them right and like tweeting just just incomprehensible yeah, like the household staff yes yeah, that's good. yeah. And, and, and like you know it 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 has meant that we have done better than we have otherwise would have but you know the takeaway message i would leave people with on, on this little rant is just we can't we just can't survive another four years of this we cannot survive another four years of this they have eroded America's institutions like they've, they, you know, Donald Trump has compromised CDC. He's compromised FDA. He's compromised HHS. Noah like, it was not. You he's know, compromised, the, yes, the, the, weather. the weather people. He's <laughs> compromised the weather people. Um, we can't do another four years of this. No. I, I would be dead. I'm almost certain. And like, here's the thing. You're not better at getting healthcare than I am. Almost certainly. Like statistically, I'm better at this than about 99.5% of the population because I built my, my life around it. 
if if Malcolm Gladwell is right, you are definitely an expert, and I am a novice, and so I just can't compete with your expertise on getting a health, getting healthcare because you've had to spend the ten thousand hours or whatever it is. And, and if I'm not well, I mean, I I literally. I went to public health school. I went to graduate school in public health when I was diagnosed because I didn't understand the healthcare system and I knew that not understanding it was going to kill me. And then I went to law school because even after public health school, I knew that not being able to sue an insurance provider would kill me. So I literally spent five, a little bit more than five years in graduate school learning this stuff and then years in private practice doing it for myself and and importantly on behalf of other patients and then also policy work. And, and, and my point here is just that I am relatively confident that if he's reelected, I cannot survive another four years. And so um, the sort of ordinary folks, uh, I, I used to use a term from a series of books I no longer reference because it turns out the author is a terrible human being. Um, we, we just recently, uh, deciding not to give our eight-month-old son an emotional attachment, uh, recently gave those seven books away. So yes. Yeah, it sucks. I need a new term. I don't have one yet. Y'all know who I mean. Um, it, you know, people who don't have this training and skill set are just fucked. You can't, so, like, if you, even if you are a healthy person listening to me right now, there are a number of diseases that could impact your life. There are a number of chronic illnesses that could impact your life. There are a number of acute medical events that could impact your life. And I swear to God, there are like five people, maybe tops listening to this, who have the skill set I do. You're probably not one of them. Vote likely your life depends on it. Get your friends to vote like your life depends on it because it might, it really might just on healthcare alone. Uh, and, and so... You know, while the incompetence has saved us, sort of, and in, in, in like some I of need us, to be clear, some of us, some, some of, of us, us, some of the time, yeah. Excess mortality figures, which are probably the best way to measure the number of COVID deaths in the country through September, whereas about two hundred six two hundred and sixty six thousand Americans have died just because of the pandemic, and that doesn't include people who have died from other sorts of malfeasance and cruelty of the Trump administration. And importantly, to a point that you were talking about before, it doesn't include the lives we've lost because we haven't been able to focus on other things for the last four years. Under our president, Hillary Clinton, like I'd be fighting, like we'd be fighting about climate change right now. We would be trying to pursue the most ambitious climate policy this country has ever seen because, you know, I love people in California, Oregon, and Washington State, and they were taking real fucking shallow breaths trying to get to the like nearest air filter for weeks and weeks. And this country did fuck all to help them because the president of the United States is a cruel, inhuman monster. I feel like one of the reasons we're all looking forward to this moment being over is so that we can get to those other things that we so desperately want to do. I, I look forward to the more full and actualized human being that you will get to be and that I will get to be and that other people I know will get to be when we don't have this yoke around our necks 24-7. I, I do want to end, because I feel like you've made a lot of really important and serious points, I want to end on two lighter notes. Because again, I feel like people always remember how you made them feel. And you were talking about laughing and crying earlier. And if I can just have it be 51% laughing, I'll be fine. Um, you have, you talked about your, you've paid, I've mentioned your Patreon. You've mentioned your Patreon. You have what I 
I, I cackled when I saw this. A tier of support that people can, you know, they can, they can any amount they want, or they can, you have three tiers that are modest, normal amounts that people would have. And then you have one tier that you say, if, if I've blocked you on social media, you may subscribe to this tier and to only this tier. It is $1,500 a month, and then you will engage with people. Um, first of all, I cackled. Second of all, I want everyone who's ever dealt with like me too or racist bullshit to be able to have this tier in their like personal and professional lives. And three, um, how many people subscribe or how many people have, have expressed interest in this tier? Because I imagine there are a number of people, if you're anything like me, where you have people who gloat and love to, to mess with you on social media, there have been some people I imagine who want to engage with you because that's how they fulfill the void in their lives. You know, you, you, I have to correct you. Uh, your subscription quote at this tier does not mean that I will necessarily engage with you. It's very important. We got to get the details on this tier right. And I, I feel like you probably have some personal experience about why it's necessary to be incredibly precise with our language with the trolls, right? And and they're going to have demands. They're going to want breakfast in bed. And like, how dare you? My $1,500 a month should, you know, mean that you are showing up in person to my house, no matter where it is, with some English breakfast tea and some scones. It, 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 it came about because, I'll be honest, I've, I'm quick with the block button on Twitter. My block list uh, is in excess of 50,000 accounts. And a lot of that is automated tools that, that happened when, um, I came to the attention of like Ben Shapiro, <laughs> which I don't recommend. Uh, it's not a great time. Um, and also the Chapo, uh, are, are um, yeah. And the death threats that were associated with, um, talking about disability rights in those contexts and in the needs of chronically ill folks became a bit too much. And so I'm, I'm very quick with the, the block button and some folks started uh, trying to get around blocks by subscribing to my Patreon. And, you know, I just needed to make the point that a dollar a month doesn't actually buy you access to me. If, especially if I've blocked you, right? Like that's not what the Patreon is. I am incredibly grateful for the people who contribute to the Patreon and allow me to do things like have conversations on podcasts and go do panel presentations at academic medical conferences that cost buttloads of money and don't have people who identify as chronically ill and disabled showing up in those spaces. So I am incredibly, need to be very clear, grateful for the support of folks on Patreon. But People were trying to use it as like a back door into my living room and just that's not what it's there for, bro. Um, and, and, they, and are. they are. And they are bros. Like, that's they are bros. They are to a person. All bros. 100% bro rate. Uh, I am just and so, like, this is your reply guy rate. This is what it, this it, is. It, and it doesn't guarantee you access. It just It just says that here's some filtered content. Some of it is filtered. Most of it is not because I want people who cannot afford the Patreon to still have access to it. <laughs> Um, here's a way that you can, you know, give me $1,500 a month and see some hidden posts. And that's all you get, just to be clear, because odds are, if I've blocked you, you were an asshat. <laughs> like, we just need to be real about it. You were probably an asshat. And, 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 and to, you know, if, if you are reading this and I've blocked you, one of two things is probably the case. It was an auto blocking tool. Sorry, it catches some friendlies, can't be helped. Or 
you're an asshat. And I just want to take this opportunity to say, fuck you. <laughs> I don't, I, the depth of that laugh, the depth of this laugh is because I, I just, I, I, I never thought of it. And I'm so jealous of the fact that you've created the, the perfect way to tell people to go fuck themselves by them plunking down a credit card number. You know, I don't think I, I, I genuinely don't know. It's been so long. I don't think this is original to me. And I don't, I, I certainly think that you should not deprive yourself of the opportunity of going into Patreon this afternoon and creating an I've blocked you or fuck you, you asshat tier. Um, it, it really is all about audience engagement and serving our <laughs> listeners, right? And and this is an important service that you can provide to people, Jared. I wow. really want to encourage you to do this. Yeah, well, it's true. You know, I, I we, we talked about mental health and I do think it would be good for mental health to be able to tell people exactly where to shove it and the, uh, the, the, the charge, the, my, my current rate for shoving it. You know, um, this is not legal advice, but I wonder <laughs> if your FSA or your HSA could contribute to a consultant to improve your mental health in this way. Oh, that's a great, wow, what a great way to get people, especially now that we're near the end of the year and people need to spend that money or lose it's it. It's true. I'm getting emails every day. American healthcare, man. It's, uh, Stupid it's, ass I've system. blocked you and like dental is never included. So uh, put some pre-tax money aside because it's a pandemic and you've got oodles of free cash so that you can get the root canal that you need. We live in a great, great healthcare ecosystem. I want <laughs> I almost don't even want to have, because I, I, I'm sorry. I'm genuinely, oh God, I'm crying. Matthew, I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard. Um, I, I have to, I would nor I nor I had this in my notes, and I want to end with Animal Crossing because I know you from this group, and I had been follow, I had been aware of you for for years, but I had you know this was I'm not even going to ask you because who gives a shit if you enjoyed these last few minutes and you want to play I haven't even been to Matthew's Island because he's too busy, um, but we do know each other from this community. What I'm going to say is I really hope that people have gotten the both the laughing and the crying out of this conversation. You know, I, I'm going to break in here for a moment just on the Animal Crossing thing Thank to say that my my view of trolls, you know, the people for, for whom I've created the I've blocked you tier, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is roughly equivalent to my view of jock chicken <laughs> on the island. And we haven't talked about this, but we finally, I finally managed to get that fucker to go away. Was his name like Ken or something? or? Uh, you know, I wish I knew. I just honestly, in my household, we refer to him as Jock, Jock Chicken. Chicken. That's good. It, I'm so happy for Goose. you. Goose. His name is Goose. I uh, <laughs> my partner just chimed in from across the room, like, um, knowing with full a fist well pump exactly Goose. what you Goose meant. Goose is gone. The, the, we, con, like, the, the shorthand in this relationship is so clear that you don't even need to. You know, I, with, I am incredibly lucky to have a partner who supports me in these endeavors and in my desire to get rid of the fucking jock chicken in yeah. the same way that we get rid of the Twitter trolls. View them the same. There's 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 some synergy here. Hit them that's, with nets. That's what I'm saying. Hit them that's with nets. Matthew, I I am so grateful for the time. I'm so grateful for the the laughter and, and for your expertise, but also um, the, the seriousness. I, I hope people don't don't take from these last few minutes the the intense seriousness with which you 
uh, feel these issues and, and the, the reality of the life and death that we're talking about here, because it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I felt overwhelmed for a month and that's, and you know, I had the luxury of not putting a conversation like this down on tape and, and some very patient people on my Patreon and, and other places, but uh, that's not where everyone is right now. And I, I hope that in addition to being edifying and entertaining, and empathizing and humanizing, we can also say that uh, I really hope you you get to live in the next four years. Um, and uh, I think that uh, people who start to view their vote that way uh, might might want to take a leaf from your book. And uh, I hope they do. Thank I, you so I much. This isn't. I, I hope this isn't too controversial for your show. But I too hope that I get to live for the next four years. Good. And I really do appreciate you having me. And it was really good to talk to you. Very much likewise. And uh, eventually I hope to see your island, although from what I understand, it won't be the same without Goose. So <laughs> it's better. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, thank you again. Again, uh, Matthew Cortland has joined me. He is a disabled and chronically ill attorney. He's a policy analyst uh, at MattBC on Twitter. He's also at MattBC on Patreon. Um, I will make sure that the link for all that is in. Uh, the description of this episode. More importantly, uh, to my Patreons, thank you. Uh, my patrons, thank you for your continued support uh, for, for this episode and for all the time that I've been putting together at the table. It is enormously valuable. And as, as Matthew was saying, the community of people helps us do work that is is hopefully valuable. And, and, and that is, or you've chosen to, to screw with us, in which case, uh, thank you, but fuck you. Uh, this, <laughs> a, a better, a better sign off for an episode I couldn't possibly imagine. 